Peck. Peck. Peck, 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 peck. You be careful. I am a powerful sorcerer. See this acorn? I'll throw it at you and turn you to stone. Ooh. I'm really scared. No, don't. Don't. There's a, a peck here with an acorn pointed at me. did like I, I really expected this movie to be a lot less epic than it was like I didn't think they really went that far like you know it's they didn't go like Lord of the Rings far you know like with distance within the movie and, and such they didn't go that far but I mean they they went traveled quite quite a distance you know throughout the film yeah back and forth kind of thing and it's a typical tale that yeah. you know he pulled from star wars and that you have in lord of the rings you know you have something that's that's an object or a person that you some farmer or you know lower bored person that doesn't have a very exciting yeah. life receives something or someone that they then need to take a long journey to deliver to something or somewhere else so and then they have little watchers, like a warrior that comes with you, Aragon, Mad Mardigan, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you have sorcerers like Gandalf, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. or Obi-Wan, and, you know, Han Solo is a Mad yeah. Mardigan character. So it's all, it's all that same thing, but it's just, you know, it's portrayed through this different world, these, these, these characters, the Nelwins and the, the Daikinis and, you know. But I mean, so was this written by Ron Howard or just directed by him? No, it was directed by him. It was written by George Lucas. Um, yeah, he I mean, the story you, you can so like see the whole story in that. Even yeah. even the scream uh, sounded like a stormtrooper scream where they go ah, real high pitch. Uh, are you talking about the Wilhelm scream? Yes, yes, yes. It's it was used in this. Oh yeah, it happened in this it? film. And then yeah, and then I was just like. This George Lucas has to have something to do with this film. Well, talking about who's writing it. Um, today we're talking about Willow. It's a movie came out in 1988, not the new series that starts this week. Um, but the uh, that's for you. Oh, thanks. I, was, I just meant yeah, okay. you can have it. Um, and not the new series that comes out here in 2022, but on. The end of this month, actually. November 30th, yeah. I believe. Um, this is the one that came out in 1988. It was directed by Ron Howard. Uh, the story was written by George Lucas, but uh, Ron Howard brought Bob Dolman in to write the screenplay for it. And I believe Bob Dolman wrote the screenplay for Cocoon and one or two others of his ones that he well, did. Well, what, what kind of deal with the devil what, 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 what did Ron Howard make on this film? What do you mean? Like, to direct this film. Like, like, I mean, I understand he's coming from Happy Days, right? Right. He's coming from Happy Days, and he and was still at this point more well known as being Richie Cunningham mm -hmm. than he was as being a director. Yeah, because he didn't. You know, this is really his kind of introduction, at least to me, right? I mean, did what did he do before this? He did a few. One of them, including Cocoon, he did Cocoon, um, which was a pretty big one. I think that's the one with uh, who's the diabetes guy. Huh. 
Diabetes. Yeah, what's his name? I can't remember. Uh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah, wasn't you know, he about uh, all the old people that you know and the cocoon, northern they, exposure they go to guy aliens and they go to space and everything. I don't know. If, maybe no, no, that was that. I get those guys mixed up. All yeah, the but time. he was young during that time. We forget. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he was a lot younger. But you know, it's it's so crazy. It, like he had to make some kind of deal with the devil on this one because to have to say, hey, I'm going to direct this film written by George Lucas. With probably a, a pretty decent budget. I mean, thirty-five million. Okay, that's Which, a decent for in nineteen eighty-eight. Is a decent, good, yeah. very, very good budget. But and having that kind of budget, Lucas put a lot of his money forward too. By the way, yeah. But then it was like, why didn't he get somebody like Spielberg to direct this rather than a, a newbie, Ron Howard, who played Richie Cunningham? I imagine Spielberg was busy with a lot of stuff because by nineteen eighty-eight, mm-hmm. he was he was the go-to director for you know fun action. Films true. And everything. But, true. Um, what happened was, is uh, Ron Howard obviously acted in um, George Lucas's movie American Graffiti yeah. back in the seventies, literally playing Richie Cunningham, right, as well, right. Yeah. So, um, uh, Ron Howard was just finishing up Cocoon, and uh, he was actually editing it and doing the post production at skywalker ranch right you know or, or at uh not skinwalker ranch don't no, get those two mixed up ilm i think he was doing i think it wasn't at skywalker ranch but he was working at ilm which is george lucas's company well it was you know it was part of um, lucasfilm and everything yeah um industrial light and magic for those of you don't, that don't know uh it was basically created for the star wars movies and correct done special effects ever since um, so anyways, he was working with that and, you know, Lucas and him obviously knew each other. And at that point, George Lucas had seen a few of the things he was doing, what he was working on. He goes, Hey, been working on this fantasy thing for a while. Would you like to direct it? And apparently he had probably heard that because Ron Howard was looking to direct a fantasy movie because the eighties was filled with fantasy movies, yeah. you know, between Highlander, Labyrinth, you know, he man, all kinds of all those yeah. fantasy stuff. So mm-hmm. he was looking to, you know, direct one of his own. And, we uh, should definitely do a podcast on He-Man. Just for the simple... the universe. Yes, because just for the simple... You know, it's so weird to take a comic book slash cartoon and then put it into the 80s and have a mix of, of Electronica into the film. Like, like I mean, even even the, the contraption he builds, it's it's it's, it's a keytar. It's a flipping keytar. Remember, they had to find, they had to figure out what that tone was. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that still goes through my head, just like a lot of the music from Willow. I yeah. mean, this music, again, you know, we're I guess both of us are like this, but we we look at movies through through. This may sound weird, but we look at movies through our ears, we, in a way. We, we, we process it. We deal our, with movies with our minds, yeah. but our hearts belong to music. Correct. Yeah, right. And and it's and it's weird because, you know, I, I'm a true believer that music can, you know, really bring back memories, you know, and, sure. and bring you back to the forefront of your mind, in a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And And... God forbid anything happens to anybody getting, you know, like Alzheimer's or something like that. But I, I, I fully believe that music has a way of reaching people just like smells and music. But, you know, with films, but I think with Alzheimer's patients, they found that there there is some connection there with correct with, with yeah. the music they heard from like their childhood. Right. And, 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 I, and I believe it's that powerful, you know. And so when when I watch a movie like this, it could be a movie. I'm like, eh, you know, because at first I really didn't want to do this film. 
uh, a podcast for it. I was like, you know, I know we have to, you know, it's like saying no to doing Goonies or something, you know. But also there's a new series coming out. It's becoming more relevant again. Right. And a lot of people may have forgotten about that. But I still hate when they do that. It's just, it's to bring back the relevance. It's always been relevant. You know, Willow's been always been relevant. Star Wars have always to been relevant us. And to, to us, who right? Grew up with it, but as yeah. far as what anybody else thinks, Pop I don't care. They forgot about yeah, it, right? But I don't care because right. I, all I'm dealing with is me. Yeah, you know, when it comes to this, and, and then you forget because, like, when we were younger, maybe the last time you saw it, you were a kid, so you forget that, um, you know, there was a lot that maybe didn't make sense to us. So, yeah. like, we we liked it for some of the sequences and the magic and everything like that. But I remember when I started watching this, I'm like, I don't really remember the full story. I have to kind of get back into it. You know, what happened with Bav Morda and yeah. Sorsha and all this kind of stuff. So, I, But once I got back <laughs> into the daughter it, really it, just, auto, it brought it all back. And it's funny because throughout this film, the daughter, she just didn't really seem like she wanted to be part of her mother's life. There's a reason for that, which we'll get into. Right. But... But yeah, I, I it's it, obvious. Yeah, it, it, it's it's weird. But she has like no lines for no. Like the last half of the movie, right? And she even, just even her like, other lines are are just are not very encouraging or anything else yeah. like that. But you know, it, it's weird because I remember the music most. Uh, and it, it always seems like it's the same music. Like John Williams is tricking everybody. He he's he's going out there. I mean, I'm not saying he did this this right. film, but. Like these massive genius, you know, music makers. Yeah, you know, they they genius composers. I, I feel like they give us one song and then they change it just a little bit throughout every single film. Super so you're like, man, I've heard that. Yes, I've heard that song. Or Indiana Jones is another one that you can add into there too. Yeah. But you know, yeah. it's like it's like this sounds like this, and then when I bring it up and people will show me, no, this is this song plays that music uh, plays this music. I'm like they're totally different. But in my head, they're the same. It's yeah. like it's kind of like the same kind of like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. I, I I truly believe. Don't you know? You can't take away from from the man there, but you know, I, I feel like he does it too. You know, in yeah. a lot of his films, it just it seems like he tweaks it just enough. Where if you were to play them back to back, that you could tell that they're different. But in your head, they're like it's the same damn song. Yeah, and it was James Horner who did the music for this. Okay, and he, I think, I believe he passed in 2015. Mm. Um, and uh, but I mean, he's he's done so many so many epic scores and everything. So, and he had already done a lot. Like he had already done a couple of Star Trek films during this this decade and mm-hmm. everything. So, this one, I mean, it's got a great theme to it. Yeah. But my favorite is is the the Nelwins, uh, their little fair. Uh-huh. It's kind of like like an Irish that type music. Of, yeah, I love that music. That's yeah. that's what I was kind of getting at is that that's the song that made me remember this movie. Yeah, again, you yeah. know that song when I heard that I was like, yep, I remember. I remember this from. I remember this, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but they're literally it's like a take a story about the Ewoks, and this is the Ewoks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it is, and and if you look at the score part of it, it's got a lot of flute. And yep. it kind of reminds you of the Lord of the Rings uh-huh. music. Yep. So who did Lord of the Rings? I'm going to laugh if it was James Horner. <laughs> but I just think it's it's ironic that... Howard Shore. Okay. Of course, yeah, Howard Shore. But, but I mean, it has some of that same, like, like with Lord of the Rings, it's like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then... Uh, 
you know, I don't know. This one, it, it just had a lot of that same type of, of, of yeah. I don't know, kind of like a, a ocarina or a flute type of music to it. <laughs> of time. But ocarina of time. We get through this. Uh, this stars Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan, uh, Joanne Wally as Sorsha, Warwick Davis as Willow, Jean Marsh as Queen Bab Morta, Billy Barty, Barty. as the High Aldwin. Um, we also have Pat Roach as KL. And uh, many others, uh, including like uh, David Steinberg, who played the G Migosh, who uh, is like the Samwise of this story. Yeah. Stuck with uh, Frodo as long as he caught. Uh, yeah, but he didn't really stick. I mean, if you put them back to back with all the films combined with the times. Yeah, it was probably around the same time. But you can't you can't put anybody over Samwell. No. No, nobody's going to be the ultimate wingman. Yeah, he's just he's Samwell. Samwell. So, I mean, Samwise. Yeah, um, Tony Sam. Cox. There we go. Tony Cox from uh, Me, Myself, I, and Irene, <laughs> and Bad Santa. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Um, Kevin Pollock. I've forgotten that he is in that. Uh, as the two brownies, um, you have. Rick oh, Robinson, I know. I, I recognized Pollock him right off the bat. As right Frangine off the bat. And Rule, uh, and the, probably the most annoying and. Uh, worst part of this movie are the brownies and just kind of their nuisance well they're a nuisance in that world as well and then mark northover as burgle cut remember burgle cut no he was like the main like the mayor guy oh yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, he, he was the gangster that was gonna break knees well, no, like uh he was the the main guy that had the bald head that was scared yeah. and kept getting pooped on and Mad, remember Mad Mardigan's like, Burgle Cut, you're my favorite Burgle Cut. And I, I just remember that name and thinking that name was awesome. Um, it, I, just, I just think I, I got to point that out, too, with, with Tony Cox, the fact that, like, people don't realize that, you know, they think Bat Santa and then they think of him. And it's like, this dude's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite role of his is in me and myself and Irene. How he beats the crap out of Jim Carrey. You remember that? Yes. That's hilarious. Hey, we have an apology to make real quick. Okay. Um, so last week, do you remember what we were talking about? Uh, no. <laughs> Back to the future. Oh, yeah. Um, and we were talking about Michael J. Fox in Spin City, right? Yeah. And we had mentioned how Joe Rogan was yeah. on there. Well, do you remember there's two shows that had kind of the same premise about, you know, uh, journalism. Oh, the other one was Andy Dick, like right? It had Andy Dick in it. Um, and it had, like, Spin City, all those people you see on Scrubs. And the, yeah, and the was lead was on a, Bill a girl, and right? Like yeah. That. Now, it was, yeah, I can't remember what his name was, but um, News Radio. That's right. That's the one that Joe Rogan was on, and that had, that had Kathy Griffin in it, didn't it? It might have. It had Phil Hartman. I know that. That that's the yeah. One that's that had the one Phil he Hartman ki- and killed himself and or, or unalived himself. No, his wife killed him and then killed herself. Uh, you hear about? Do you uh, remember? Yeah, Phil Hartman. That's how he died. His wife actually killed him, and then she killed herself. And it was kind of a long standoff with police. It was a very crazy. I don't want to say crazy. If you want to look it up, look it up. It's very tragic. But it's a, yeah. it's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. But yes. Anyways, uh, news radio is the one we were talking about with Joe Rogan. Uh, but we had <coughs> he was in Spin City. But that was a Bill Lawrence show, the guy who created Scrubs too. So 
that's why you get to see all those people. But um, I'd love to see a Willow by Peter Jackson. You know, as someone who knows fantasy pretty well. Not that you know Ron Howard did a great job, but it'd be interesting to see a Willow by Peter Jackson. But who knows this this new one that's coming out? Maybe that'll. I mean, it's Disney, so it's going to put that glossy extra stuff that it doesn't need on top of it but well, can you imagine you if they had Ron Howard's daughter direct yeah Bryce oh, Dallas yeah because she's a phenomenal uh, director they should have had an actress over the right it'd be nice if they had Ron Howard do the movie and then had her daughter do the series because then you'd know the spirit of it yeah because you know that they've had conversations they trust yeah. each other I imagine all that kind of stuff so you know that that would be a well i mean again you know and i I was talking about ron howard before saying you know he's this you know he's brand new but i mean the the dude became one of the greatest directors ever you know yeah like apollo 13 yeah just all these things that he everything he's done pretty much um and now his daughter is a phenomenal not only a phenomenal a phenomenal actress but from what i see probably almost a better director yeah, she she did a, f- a few episodes of The Mandalorian, and they were really, really good. I think she might have done one in Boba Fett, too, did she? Yeah. Or is that all Robert Rodriguez? Maybe that was all Robert Rodriguez. Man, you could so see Robert Rodriguez uh, in that film. His hands are all over it. In, uh, in Boba in Fett. Fett yeah. yeah. In, and, I mean, he did in The Mandalorian when Boba Fett came after The Mandalorian for his armor. He mm-hmm. directed that episode, mm-hmm. too, and you could tell. It was awesome. Um so anyways, this movie opens up. It's about um, this this little girl, this baby who was born. And there was a prophecy that she would overthrow who is right now the queen of the land. Um, you know what the, ba- the, the land is called? I know they said it, but I can't even remember. I think it's, what is it, Nakmar? Kandor. Maybe that's just the, the castle that she's in, Kandor. Um, I can't remember, but anyways, this 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 basically a Harry Potter thing. This little mm-hmm. baby was born to overthrow the evil sorceress. Uh, her name is Queen Bavmorda. Um, this queen rule, rules with an iron fist. She's it's basically the tale of Moses. She's collecting all the 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 women in the kingdom and uh, the you know who are pregnant and everything and executing them. and executing them and their babies. Just not not because they're who they're looking for, but when they find out they're not who they're looking for, you might as well just kill them anyways. Mm-hmm. So um, until finally the uh, the actual baby that was prophesized is born, and her name is uh, we find out as uh, later is Alora. Uh, was it Laura Denham, mm-hmm. something like that. <clears throat> and uh, so, anyways, her mom convinces the little uh, handmaiden nurse person to take the baby out of there, and she takes it far off land, puts it in a river when she's hunted down by dogs. And man, she was mauled. Alive. Dogs, those were weird things. I don't know. They're like rat dogs. Yeah, they're like giant rat dogs or whatever. They're basically Rottweilers with costumes on. Yeah, is what they had them, but. Man, she, weird tales. Within those for the first five minutes, you know, yeah. you get the cool little title of Willow and everything. But I mean, you're getting this woman mauled alive. Yeah, and you're you're almost seeing it. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, the kids of the '80s were watching a lot of different things than the kids nowadays. Were. Yeah, I don't know which one's worse, though. To be honest with you, I think nowadays is worse. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff back there that, like, yeah, I see reactors reacting to stuff from our childhood, and they're like, this is all nightmare fuel. 
you know, like how how did you guys survive? Well, I guess I guess nowadays it's more sexualized than the nightmare field in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to say go that way, it's worse that way nowadays. But I'm talking more about the things the that were like scary for kids, or that would have been scary for kids. I mean, this is one of them. When you look at like the two headed dragon, you know, as bad as the animation and looked at, you know, looked on that, it was still just stuff like. That would give kids nightmares, you know what I mean? Well, that two-headed dragon, is that what we're calling it? It's a dragon. Don't fucking dragon I've ever seen. No, it no, looked no. like it. Well, it looks know, like the Rancor. That, that's what I was about okay. to say. Looks like I was like, I was like, it looks like that beast from the base. What's the name of it? Ran- yeah. Rancor. It does look like two Rancors together, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense. Maybe they use the the creature shop, uh, you know. Uh, so I'm saying it's a, it's an Ewok movie with people. <laughs> And you know what they call that uh, two-headed dragon? What? Ebersis. Oh, Ebert and Siskel. Mm. Two-headed dragon. It's a nightmare. It's a monster. It was George Lucas's little jab, I think, at you know because he didn't like critics. Well, especially because those he two. Got, he got ripped apart by critics all the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he named it Ebersis, and nobody knew until it was kind of put together. Oh, Ebert. Cisco. Okay. And they're alive at this point too, so Yeah, even they didn't get it. They they named this as one of the worst films of the of the year. Well, I wonder year. why. <laughs> and so it was, it was probably earned <laughs> or deserved maybe. So how much money did these this film pull in? 120 something million, I think. So it um let me see if And that's just national or international or everything. That's all together. It grossed 137 million worldwide and was a 35 million budget. So it did well. Like three times the amount. Yeah, probably a lot of that was was more of a worldwide. Yeah, but still, I mean, outside of the U.S. or whatever. But it was fantasy, so that was it was still hitting. Even though by this time fantasy was going out, and by the '90s it all moved to television. Yeah, Um, you know, with Xena and Hercules and Highlander and all that kind of stuff that we had in the '90s. All the fantasy moved to the television, Mm -hmm. but. You know, during this time it was going down, but I mean, there's still popular enough demand for it. I mean, I imagine this was probably a lot more popular in other countries and everything, and that's why it got so much. But it did pretty well here too. And the 35 million dollar budget, most of uh, that was Lucas, like Alan Ladd, who was the head of Warner Brothers, I believe. Whenever he, Warner Brothers, no. Fox. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, uh, whenever he helped Star Wars get released. Yeah. So Alan Ladd it was one of the people that helped Star Wars get released. Well, at this time, he was working at MGM. So George Lucas took it to MGM. And they weren't doing well financially, so they put up like half of the the money or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of this, as as is common is George Lucas finance, you know, and yeah. he gets to keep a lot of, like he got to keep, I think like the VHS rights and stuff, but you know what, it, you know, IMDB says, you know, George Lucas specifically wrote this film for Warwick Davis after meeting him. Right. Well, I thought he had the premise already. Done. He did. He had it done in the seventies in the early seventies. And you know, before star Wars even came out, he had like the, the basic outline for it and, you know, and the ideas yeah. for it. Well, come 1982, when they were filming Return of the Jedi, and Warwick Davis at the time was 12, um, he basically talked to Warwick Davis and his mother and everything was like, hey, I got this idea, but it's for the character to be 17, kind of like 
give me five years or something. Yeah. Let, let me get it worked out. And when you're at the right age, we'll see if we can make this movie. Mm-hmm. But I want you in this movie because Warwick Davis was so, you know, animated and such a good, he had that presence and everything. You know, because yeah, they had him play in the Leprechaun. Yeah. They had him play, um, um, C three or R two D two, right? No, that was Kenny Baker. That's right, Kenny. Kenny Baker's in this film, is he? I, I, I yeah. swear, I saw. I Kenny think Baker. he is. I think they said that he was somebody in a band. He was prob- yes, probably part yes. Yes, the when band. they were in the in the um, the village scene. Um, yeah, he was. I think I had read that he was somebody in the band as well. I do remember Kenny Davis in this film because I saw him and Kenny I was like, Baker. I, Kenny Baker, sorry, Kenny Baker, and I I saw him and I was like, that's R two D two. Yeah. And then what was it? Five years after this, the first Leprechaun movie came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. So he was 17. So what? He was 22 when he was playing the Leprechaun. I mean, that was a pretty good performance. That was. I love those movies. I mean, yeah, they got cheesier as they went on and it everything. Did. But the first one was cheesy. But I mean, still, it, he the, was enjoying it. It freaked me out. He was having fun with I it. I liked you it. Know? So. Um, so, anyways, uh, in in the uh, the Moses storyline, Kenny Baker, yeah, now one band member, yeah, he's uncredited though. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was like the biggest production with. They had up to like two hundred forty fifth, uh, two hundred and forty five uh, little people actually try out for this. Yeah, movie. yeah. Or not not even try out, was in the movie. In the movie. And it was supposed to be like the most ever, probably since Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Wizard of Oz, this movie, when he was writing it, it was originally called Munchkins. Wouldn't get away with that nowadays. No. But um, apparently you probably wouldn't get away with it back then, too, because it was changed. And I, I like Willow a lot better. I mean, it's yeah. a story about Willow. So uh, in the true Moses fashion, he gets sent up the river, and uh, then he's eventually found... Um, by some kids of this uh, this Nelwyn, uh, one of these people in the in the uh, they're they're the, sh- the short people in this world, and the taller, <clears throat> average-sized adults are known as the Daikini. And so when they find it, um, Willow automatically knows it's a Daikini baby, and he doesn't even want to touch it. And he has to go away for something. But when he comes back, his wife's already fished it out of the river. And the wife is in love with this little baby right. now, and she's like, "I'm not gonna let her go. She, we should take care of her." Blah blah blah. So, like, you could tell that she loved Willow too. Like his wife, the like, wife, yeah. Oh, yeah, and they loved each other. You know, they did. You know, that was yeah. a great performance from both of them. It really was. Um, so Willow is trying. He's a farmer, but he's trying to become a a wizard, basically a uh, a sorcerer. Um, Luke Skywalker was a farmer. But then he trained to become basically a wizard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Harry Potter. Same thing with all these different, you know, the classic stories, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we go to a scene where, you know, there's, there's uh, this is that, that scene with the great music, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like Irish type of music um, and, uh, or Irish folk music, I guess. Yeah. Well, d- did you know that he actually... Um it didn't do as well as he expected right at the beginning. So George Lucas went and wrote novels. Yeah, there's three novels that follow this. The Chronicles of the Shadow War. Yeah, I think one is called something, and one's called The Moon, and then one's called The Star. Holy crap, he, he said uh, he's got writer credits with Chris Claremont 
and Lucas. Yeah, he, uh, he the guy who wrote X Men. He helped to write the novels. So George Lucas would be like, "This is what the story is going to be." And Chris Claremont wrote out the whole mm-hmm. story. That's and amazing. I guess he was a huge X Men writer. Yeah, Chris, uh, yeah, he's he's, he's the, the one, one that did that main more modern day X Men. He's the one that did that most. Yeah, and I know he wasn't the artist, but that one that had the splash page where it's like the most yeah. famous, where all the X Men you have Magneto mm-hmm. on one side, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it was the one with the Wolverine yeah, and everything. Yeah, done. Was that yeah. Chris Claremont? Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff like that. He's the one that brought the like the more newer age X-Men into it, you okay. know. Um, so anyways, he's in that town, and this is where we have that music. It's great music. Um, but the dogs attack because they're all over. They're looking for the baby. Um, Willow gets scared because he thinks, you know, he knows his baby, his wife has the baby. So he's thinking, oh, they attacked her. Well, he finds out she's all right, and when they all convene to find out what happened, they find out that Willow's kids found this baby, and he explains it all. Well, he's trying to be a sorcerer. He fails the test with the finger test. I don't know what that was supposed to be. It's supposed to be your finger. Your own finger holds all the power. Either that or thumb, because that's what separates us from animals is the opposable thumb. I don't know. He still had the thumb up. I would either pick my own or pick my own or... I'm going to look it up or something I'm gonna look like it up. that. See which finger holds all the power. So, but do you remember who the, what's his name? I don't know. What the is High Aldwin. Oh, yeah. Do you know who that is? Billy Barty. <laughs> yes, he played on He-Man. Masters of the Universe. Yes. Let's differentiate the, uh, the, the cartoon from the yeah. live action movie. Obviously. Yeah. And I think he played in uh, Spaceballs too, didn't he? I don't think so. I know Mel Brooks played well, yogurt, but yeah. uh, I don't. I don't think so. I, I can't remember some of the, some of the other ones that he's been in. But those are the big two: is this one in Gwildor and uh, heavy in makeup in the Masters of the Universe. Magic is the bloodstream of the universe. Forget all you know or think you know. All that you require is your intuition. Now. The power to control the world is in which finger? No apprentice this year. Just get this out of the way. Um, We talked about he was 17 or 18 when he was filming. I think he did a pretty good job with the movie being on his shoulders and really not having anything before this. Yeah. And... You know, let's be honest, there weren't many movies being led by this type of, uh, you know, this type of actor, a little person. Well, and see, as there's no movies, there's none. Or there was at least none uh, that was mainstream that had that. I'm still trying to figure out one movie. I mean, nowadays, like I could I could see having like Peter Dinklage, you know, definitely he could headline his own movie. He could be that. I mean, I'm sure he does actually have a few movies out there where he is the main star of it. But I mean, you know, just like with him taking away the role of uh, in Game of Thrones. I mean, he he ran that show. You know what I mean? Of course. The only one to win as many awards. There was nobody. Yeah. Whatever. He was on screen. You're watching him. You're listening. Yeah. Yeah. But that's but that's that's kind of probably what what warwick davis had i mean he's got a career that's just insane you know how he's you know such a successful career you know what i mean i mean i think he's even knighted in england i would not be surprised i'm gonna have to look that up now see if 
Warwick Davis is knighted. Yeah, I don't everybody think so thinks he's I've American, always... but he's like. Uh, so but, but you see, you see, my point there is that that you know, you got somebody like Sir Sir Ian McKellen and things like that. You know, why why would you not knight? You know, uh, uh, Warwick Davis. Now, to be fair, he's done some really good work, but not a lot. You know, like Sir Christopher Lee. That dude was. You know, Sir Ian McKellen, these guys have a huge catalog and they've done a lot for art, uh, film, and media. And, and who knows? He could be. I mean, it, he's probably deserving of it. Yeah. I don't know all the different requirements you got to have or whatever, but he's probably deserving of it. Um, anyways, the high old one tells Willow that he's got to take the baby back and, you know, Burgo Cut's giving him crap about it. So the high old one's like, hey, he needs people to get, we need to put together a fellowship, really. A fellowship of yeah. the baby. Fellowship of the ring, baby. A fellowship of the baby. A ring of the fellowship for the baby. Exactly. So he's like, basically, go to the crossroads where basically where the Nelwyn's land meets, you know. The Daikini's land and the rest of the land or whatever. There's Go a bunch to the of land meetings. A, a lot of land meetings. And give them, basically, give them, give them to the first person you see. <laughs> That's a, not and our problem. And Mad Mardigan happened to be that person. And Mad Mardigan is in a Well, cage. actually, the guy the guy running, uh, or the, the, the guy on the horse, you know, fleeing across. Remember, he they actually saw him first. Yeah, but he was, well, and I think Mad Mardigan was in there. He's just passed out. Yeah or something so you know he was basically uh he was working for but then he goes you know i don't work for anybody you know yeah. i don't serve anybody so he left that but if he hadn't left maybe bav morta wouldn't have been able to take over like she did or something yeah. but who knows anyways you meet him you see that he's a scoundrel you see also he has really bad teeth yeah. But then later on in the music, I know, real nice, I know. good it's white really teeth. really weird. So maybe it's just like it was stained. Yeah, I mean, I don't see anybody brushing Maybe he had ribs here. before he got locked right. up. So like a final meal and he's just not of ribs, and he had it just stuck in his teeth. It did look like his teeth were <laughs> wasting away, though. And I feel like they were like, let's make this realistic. And they got it cool, first scene. And they're like, you know, it costs a lot of money, and it, it's really annoying to the actor to put these in all the time. And like, you know, halfway through, they're like, ah, just forget the teeth, you know. Let's, you know, let's just wipe some barbecue so sauce he, got, he, say he got freshened up and we're good to go um so anyways this guy Matt maybe Martin, he hadn't yeah. brushed his teeth in a while and then he brushed it for the long you know for the first time in a yeah. long time how much fun was val kilmer having in this movie he had to have been i mean you know and and it just seemed like he was extremely respectful for people around him because it almost like he wasn't taking it seriously kind of no he was just hamming yeah it up. one of these people that like knows they're in a fantasy just ham it up yeah, because remember when he turned to look at the dragon and it just did a close up of him and he goes, <laughs> you know, he just drops his mouth but it looks so weird and yeah. fake. It was he's a bit strange. It up though, but he, had you know, like he was always drunk or something. Yeah, and he met his wife, uh, one of his wives, on this movie. Oh, uh, which one was it? Sorsha. Really? Yeah, they got so they they met during the filming of this. They fell in love while filming. That's why they have such good chemistry. Yeah. Joanne uh, Wally is her name. Yeah. And um, the wet towel is that what her name means? I don't get it. This is a wet towel. That's all she is. Good you need for a wet blanket. Same thing. Wet towel blanket. <laughs> why do you think that? She just uh, she just she was supposed pointless. to be evil. You know, yeah, she was raised by Bab Morta. Couldn't even do that right. Who was an evil sorceress? <laughs> So, well, we can talk about her in a minute. But Mad Mardigan is great because he was hamming it up the whole time. And 
he's he's a scoundrel like much like Han Solo is, you know. Except Han Solo maybe is a bit more honorable. Yeah, and he said he was the best swordsman in the land. I mean, he was and he pretty good. It. Yeah, because even uh, Willow when he saw him actually start to fight, he's like, "You are amazing. Or, you <laughs> are good." Everything. So he stoking his ego there. Yeah. So uh, they're they're uh, they meet up with um, Sorsha and them again, uh, Mad Mardigan and Willow does. <laughs> Uh, but um, Frangine, one of the the brownies, accidentally doses Madiga, uh, Mad Mardigan with love potion. Yeah. And so when they meet up with Sorsha again, he, like, obviously is in love with her because of the love potion. One move, jackass, and you really will be a woman. You, my sun, my moon, my starlit sky. Without you, I dwell in darkness. I love you. What are you doing here? Your power has enchanted me. I stand helpless against it. Come to me now. Tonight, let me worship you in my arms. Get away from me! I love you. Stop saying that! How can I stop the beating of my heart? It pounds like never before. Out of fear. Out of love. I can stop it. I'll kill you. Death next to love is a trivial thing. Your touch is worth a hundred thousand deaths. Um, he declares her undying love for, but she's like kind of against it, but she's not doing anything about it. Like she pulls out a knife to his throat, but, and he's just like, he's like, do it. You know, he's like coming up to, he's like, I, I would rather you. die than not be with you. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, she, but she doesn't cut his throat. No. She's obviously interested in everything. Yeah, she's into that, that kinky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, they they meet up with KL and um, is that Kalo's cousin? Yeah, okay. Kalal KL. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, He's from the planet Blipton, actually. It's you're distracting me. It's the neighboring planet to Krypton. <laughs> the neighbor. They did get destroyed too. No, no. They they just are overweight people, and they overweight uh, people. They just kind of crawl around the the landscape. Um, so obviously they're being chased by Kale and, and uh, Sorsha, but uh, Mad Mardigan's able to take Sorsha hostage, and um, that's when she starts kind of asking, like it's worn off by now. And when they're like, "Oh yeah, you were all like, oh you're mine forever, I love you," and he goes, "What?" He's like, "I hate her." <laughs> Just the way he's saying that, you know, he, he, how is this possible? I hate her. Um, yeah, but he said it with a big old smile on his face, like. Almost like he but says think, that, but he, I don't think he does. Didn't he say, I hate her, but then he said, don't I? Like, he was questioning it after yeah. that, so he wasn't sure. Correct. Um, so, anyways, Willow uh, arrives at a place called Tiraslene. It was uh, cursed and overrun by trolls, but Kale's army and Sorcha's right behind them, so they have to close the gates real quick. Um, and, um, basically, Mad Mardigan and Willow attempt to fend them off. Um and that's whenever they have the uh, the fight, because they turn they turn um, the trolls into a two headed dragon, and that's the Ebersis, that they call it or whatever. Yeah. Well, he's trying to Willow's trying to defend the baby, and um, at that moment, Sorsha's watching Mad Mardigan fight and seeing that he really is the yeah. greatest swordsman or whatever, and she immediately falls in love with him then and switches sides. Now, how how fast did you think that switch happened? What's happening? I'm moving. How fast do you think that switch happened with her becoming a good guy? I don't think she really is. I think she just wants to hook up with Mad Mardigan, and 
she doesn't really care where she goes because it's anything's better than doing her mother's beck and call. Like literally, Potter. anything's better than here. Yeah, li- I mean, like seriously, like she wasn't really doing much with her life besides her mother just well, think screaming at her all the time, telling her what to do. Really has no choice in life. Where this one, she actually gets to hook up with a guy that she likes or something. So I think she's still evil. She just she was raised by an evil misdirected. Sorceress. Yes, that's what I'm saying. She's still evil. She just doesn't care about. I don't it. think she was still evil. She was raised by an evil sorceress, though. So she only has, you know, so many things that she can do. There's just been this one thing she's been told her whole life, taught her whole life, driven for her whole life to kill I'm, babies. I'm surprised though that her that Bav Morta didn't. Like make her learn sorcery and everything, you know, as much as she can she do. She doesn't it. want her to to gain any kind Maybe of power, she, yeah, because you know she doesn't really care about her except as an asset and everything. But here's the side story to it, to where she, why she turned so easily. Do you remember whenever they were uh, close to like the the, the castle uh-huh. and they saw people that were turned into stone? Yes, do you remember seeing that? Yeah. Well, apparently the whole movie, Sorcia was looking for her father and couldn't find her father, and mm. we find out at the end. She finds out at the end that Bab Morda turned her father into stone. And that's what helped, as along with falling in love with Mad Mardigan, yeah. that's what basically pushed Sorsa to to betray her mother and turn sides and everything. So, Well, I, the way I look at it is once a gangster, always a gangster. Yeah. You know, she, she wants, she's evil. She just don't turn, unless she was never evil to begin with, I guess, is the only way that you could explain it away. With. I mean, Bab Morda had sorcery and power, which probably made her turn to evil yeah but sorcia didn't have that power side. so she was just you know kind of moving along she had somebody like kl next to her so she's not gonna fall in love with From that dude. blipton and uh, <laughs> blipton <laughs> you saying blipton or blipton blipton yeah um yeah so she let her and it was interesting because when she was first captured by Mad Mardigan, remember she was the prisoner, right? Yeah. But she, I think she, she let herself be captured by him because she was a prisoner until finally finding out that he didn't feel the way he said he did. Because she remember she's like, oh, you were telling me that you love me and all this. Remember they were riding on the horse together and he was holding her captive and yeah. she's like, oh, you confessed your love to me and, and then she just he leaves. Goes, he goes, she goes, oh, you don't feel that way anymore. He's like, well, it went away. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he didn't want to explain the love, love potion. She goes, oh, it went away, huh? And then she fought him and she was able to get away from him like that. Yeah, it's and nobody really chased her and she just walked off. Right, and she could have gotten away that whole time. So it showed that she really was kind of letting herself be captured. She was interested in Mad Mardigan because as soon as he said, oh, it just went away, and, like, he was fighting against it, so she goes, oh, okay, and then she was able to get away like that, no problem. So I, I just think that those two really sold the tension, and these are, like, my favorite types of pairings in movies, when, when hatred or people that are enemies – then they turn to either unbreakable bonds and like a non-romantic relationship, or they fall in love and they were like hated each other before. I love watching movies Kinda like, like Star that. Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean Han Solo and Leia. I mean they hated Leia each other. And Luke too, in a way. Well, no, I think they were always good. Like their first. Yeah, I don't think they ever really had a problem. They, you know, they got along pretty well. No, because remember she called be him thankful. like a country bumpkin. You know, she thought he was just a little farmer country bumpkin. Uh, I don't remember her ever saying it. She said country bumpkin. She said those she words. She did not say bumpkin. Um, she just said blipped on. Yeah. Blipped on. Um, so the fi- so we get to the final fight, right? During that fight against the dragon, the chaos forces were able to take um, the babe. Elora 
Laura Dana to uh, back to Bab Morta. So Bab Morta started the ritual to basically take away all her life or whatever and to give herself more power. Um, so Willow and the army and Mar- Mad Mardigan and Sorsha and Finn Rizal all go to Bab Morta's castle. Um, Bab Morta turns everybody into pigs except for Willow because he does a little blocking chant thing. And then when he sees that everybody's a pig, it's like, look, the only way we can beat this is if we bring Finn Rizal back to being a human. So they work on that for a good, you know, probably 10, 15 minutes and turns her into an ostrich, a turtle, a tiger, and then finally a human. And so she's back to her normal, her normal uh, self, and um, they're able to sneak into the castle. Uh, they're tricked them into letting them in the castle. And Sorsha, Willow, and Finn Rizal all go up to the top tower where Bab Morta is doing the ritual. And that begins the epic fight, which... Mad Mardigan eventually joins after Eric dies in his arms and he says, win the war for me and all that. So the three, but the three of them in there, the three sorcerers and Sorsha are all up in the tower. And man, that was a badass fight. I thought between Finn Rizal and yeah, uh, that, you know, that they reminded me of Gandalf and, and the whatever. Uh, yep. And Saruman. Yeah. And whenever I was going to bring that up because they call that uh wizard foo, like Kung Fu ah. wizards fighting. They call this that wizard thing. Foo. But I thought the wizard foo in this, this movie was a lot better than Gandalf. <laughs> and they even, because I don't think the spinning thing happened in the books mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings. But if you remember, uh, Finn Rizal, when she's like got that thing on top of her, she points her wand and she spins mm-hmm. Bab Morta in there. She's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, remember that happens in Lord of the Rings too. Saruman spins mm-hmm. Gandalf in circles and everything. But you know what? Bab Morta looked great. She had like that sunken face and the black eyes and everything. She truly looked like an evil magic person or whatever. And the she fight- was like Maleficent. It's a, like a, it's straight. A, yeah, she actually really did. And it like the Disney version or whatever. Yeah, and the Masters of the Universe, that one evil... Evil Lynn? Yeah. Yeah, she did look like her too. But I mean, I thought it was a really good fight. I thought it was a really good... I mean, you had two old ladies like legitimately just punching each other, just <laughs> beating the crap out of each other and then using magic as well. And you have Willow... And at the beginning of the movie, he did this trick where he had this pig and it would fall through a trap door and it would be under the table and he'd have, you know, a blanket that looked like the pig and then he'd shake it and it'd be gone. Well, he did the same trick on Bab Morta, making her think he had sent it to another direction, which inadvertently made her bring the spell that she was doing on the baby down to herself, which mm-hmm. banished Bab Morda to the dark yeah. dimension, which she was, which is what she was going to do to the baby. Yeah. So actually he, with his little, uh, his little country fair magician tricks, he was able to defeat, uh, a powerful sorceress just using a little trick here or there. So I wonder if we're going to see more of that in the show. Yeah. More of I his little so. tricks than actual real sorcerers. Because it really was a letdown when it was saying, oh, this this baby is going to defeat, you know, so-and-so, Matt Morgan. Uh, I always say it wrong. What is it, Matt? Bav Morta. Bav Morta. Oh, it's going to defeat Bav Morta. The baby didn't do jack besides bring Willow in. But that's Willow's the, that's the, the point is that the prophecy, if she had never gone after the baby, it's kind of like the uh, Harry Potter thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe Harry Potter took from this. <laughs> but um, it's kind of like the Harry Potter thing because if Voldemort had never gone after Harry, he wouldn't have had part of his soul attached to Harry and in doing so doomed himself. So this if he had just left it alone. And the same, the same way he could have, uh, he, uh, if he would have chosen Neville. 
You know, it all had to do with Voldemort's mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. That's how the prophecy got fulfilled. Anakin, you know, if he had just left it alone, Padme wouldn't have died. He saw in a vision that she was going to die, but him trying to stop it is what actually made it happen. Well, that and Darth Sidious when they put it in his head. Well, there's 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 debate about whether he was because Anakin can see the future, so there because he saw the same thing with his mom. But they they're saying is the emperor just amped up those dreams. Yeah. But that he really was seeing the future. But I mean that's the point is that if Bab Morna had never done anything, then. It would have never brought the whole baby to there. And that's our Rachel moment. Well, I mean, my Rachel moment or or not, but I mean, I think it's kind of cool that, you know, where you write a plot where the enemy ends up killing themselves by, you know, throughout their, their old hubris or whatever. But it sucked that last half of the movie, Sorsha really, once she switched sides, she just didn't have anything to do. She did a lot of standing next to Mad Mart again and just looking <laughs> at people and everything. But that's obviously because they cut her scene where her father died, and that's why she came running up there, and she screamed at her mom, but then she really didn't have anything to do after that. So They kind of, like, cut her legs out from under her in, uh, in this film, you know, in a way. Like, they would have just gave a little bit more explanation. Her character would have been a lot more deeper, a lot more involved, I think, but they, they just kind of cut, you know, knocked her legs out. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if they had left that story in, she would have had more to do. And uh, they wanted to cut it for time, which I get. Back then, they had to, had to be a certain length, whereas nowadays, you can have a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. It's about normal, especially for an epic yeah. uh, adventure or whatever. Um, this is a fantastic fantasy story. You know, you can say what you want about the age, but like now that it's been remastered on Disney+, Plus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they uh, I'm surprised Disney left Peck in there. I know that's like a, uh, a made-up insult and everything, but it does seem kind of like a thing, like a, a very offensive. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is I, I've never really ever heard it. I think it was made that up. I can remember. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember if I've ever heard it anywhere else. They said else. it a lot Maybe. in this movie. Yeah. Like, everybody said it. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's... How do I explain? It's it's a it's a great fantasy movie. It didn't get the popularity that it did back then because you know fantasy movies were waning. But if you watch this now, the the effects hold up. The only thing that doesn't really hold up is the two headed dragon and the brownies every once in a while because you could tell it's kind of them standing in front of a screen. But even some of the brownie stuff, it was actually done very well. And I mean, it's Ron Howard. It's an expert filmmaker. And he wasn't like not at he, the time. He didn't really. have a lot of under his belt, but I mean, he obviously had it. Yeah. Because so I mean, everything he did, uh, all the movies he had done so far, they were they were pretty good successes. And it's like so. the same track that his daughter's going down. You know what I mean? I mean, she she was a good actor, she was a good actress, but then you know she gets in directing, and it's like natural for her. Yeah. Know? And you know you get you get a sense that it's a lot more popular nowadays. Yeah. And I think that's because Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, and modern fantasy in general that we're seeing, we see a lot of it now, right? Harry mm-hmm. Potter, all that. Yeah. Modern fantasy has now made this a lot more palatable to go back because it's been done better by like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And now we we understand the suspension of disbelief that we have to have for these type of movies. So now I think that if audiences that didn't like it back then maybe go back and watch this now that we've we've consumed Lord of the Rings, we've consumed Game of Thrones and we've accepted it. Okay, mm-hmm. I understand fantasy now. Now you go back to Will, I think you get a lot more enjoyment out of it. That's how I felt, yeah. too, because I was like, this feels different from when I was watching as a kid, but I'm like, I've seen all this other fantasy stuff. 
and yes, it was done better. Mm-hmm. Better effects, different things like that. But there are still some effects in Willow that holds up a lot better than some of the ones in Lord of the Rings hold up yeah. nowadays. So yeah. something to be said for that. But I really enjoyed this movie. I'm glad we did it. Uh, it's not it's not something I'm going to hold on to. This isn't Ghostbusters or Terminator or different things like that from Ninja Turtles. You know, it's a great movie. It's good to visit for our childhood. But there are other fantasy movies out there that probably have done it better. You know, this feels like you would just go into the fantasy section in the bookstore, pick out any random one. All right, let's make this story. Mm-hmm. It's got it hits all the beats. It's got all the different things in it. Um, and uh, but it's done well. It's 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 this type of movie. You're like, yeah, it's a good movie. You know, nothing great about it. But it's a good movie if you want a fantasy movie that's been done a little differently. Yeah, especially with representation. Uh, and all that kind of stuff that was done in this film and right. make, making them like the main characters and everything. So, And, of course, uh, Val Kilmer killed it, hamming it up in this movie. I doubt he's going to be in this new series like they brought him back in Top Gun. Maybe a little harder to do it in this series. But that Joanne w- uh, Wally, the um, Sorsha, she's, I've already seen her, uh, her in it. And yeah, in Warwick. So. Yeah, so and the brownies, Kevin Pollock and stuff is the brownie yeah. back too. So, really, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's yeah. in the trailer, and they're, they're like Willow, and he's talking yeah, to him in this a... little tiny house and everything. Nice, but you have to watch the trailer and see that. But I did, but I guess I missed that. Yeah, you must have missed know. it. Hmm. It's a pretty good one. He's like, you know, uh, oh, you know, we got it. We we have a mission or an adventure or something like that, and they're like, oh, okay, business as usual. Then you know, so, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I really like this. I think people who watched it when they were younger probably get more enjoyment out of it. But I think with the the you know the climate the way it is nowadays, the 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 way that fantasy is in the zeitgeist right now, I think a lot of people will get enjoyment out of this. Yeah. So if you guys get the chance, go to Disney Plus and uh, watch it. It's free on Disney Plus. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this? No, but I am looking forward to the TV show. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Check it out. Yeah, let's watch the TV show. We probably won't do an episode on it, but uh, we'll probably at least in the next few episodes get on here because it's going to play all throughout December. So unlike Netflix, you know, Disney Plus releases them one week at a time. And there's six episodes. I believe by the 28th of December, uh, all of them will be out. Yeah. Anyways, um, you guys check this out on Disney Plus. Uh, Great movie. And please let us know what you think. Uh, whether you're a fan of it from back in the day or if you're just discovering it now because of the new show and everything, let us know what you guys think and your thoughts on all of it compared to what we said. Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at The Post Credit Podcast, except for Twitter, we're at The Post Credit. Our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website, it's thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bone.